works against our, our love. Here's um, uh, some words from Janie Walzer, and I got this out of the Reader's Digest. I once worked, Janie says, in a grocery store and often assisted elderly people when they came in. One woman shopped nearly every day, asking for just a few items each time. After a month, she said to me, I suppose you wonder why I'm here so often. You see, I live with my nephew. I can't stand him, and I am not going to die and leave him with a refrigerator full of food. United Press International carried the following story on its news service a few years ago. This is out of Fort Worth, Texas. Bill Miller decided a train was taking altogether too long to cross a street as he waited 15 minutes in a line of traffic. So, after the train passed, he drove his pickup truck onto the track locked the doors, and walked the rest of the way to work. <laughs> Cars could get by, but trains could not. A crewman from the halted train uh, telephoned police and complained that the truck was blocking their path. Police traced Miller through the pickup's license number and convinced him to move his truck after the train had to wait 20 minutes. <laughs> Interestingly, the police declined to give Miller a ticket. Hmm, don't just get mad, get even. Apparently, even the Fort Worth police saw nothing wrong with that. In the publication La Liber Liberté, a similar story was recounted. A passerby called police when they saw a man drive his new automobile into the fenders of a parked car. He explained that both cars belonged to him and that he was having revenge on the old car for giving him so much trouble. Can you believe that? Sweet vengeance. What benefits are there? Uh, in a little paper called The Bible Friend, a college professor recounted answering a telephone at 3 a.m. This is your neighbor, Mr. Smith, said the voice. Your dog is barking and keeping me awake. The professor thanked him kindly and hung up. The next morning, Mr. Smith's telephone rang at exactly 3 a.m. This is the professor, your neighbor, he said, I just wanted you to know that I don't have a dog. <laughs> oh my goodness. Can anybody relate to some of these stories just a little bit? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. These, uh, you know, this is, these stories all kind of involve an element of revenge or vengeance, getting kind of mad uh, uh, frustrated at least, and then getting even in some way. Payback, right? It's as something as natural as breathing for the majority of the human race, isn't it? Have you ever been insulted or even hurt badly by someone and fought the urge to go over and even things up? 
getting even is usually our immediate and natural response that our inner sense of justice would seem to dictate and support. What did Jesus say about dealing with vengeance? He said these words, and they'll be a little bit on the screen, but you'll have it inside of your worship folder there if you have that available. Um, you can take that home with you. Um, but let's capture the heart of what Jesus is trying to get across in this passage. Jesus said this in this part of his bigger talk called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, uh, in, in this part it deals with a couple of things that fit together. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, Jesus goes on, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I've just added some explanation for this term perfect that's used there. That's the idea to lack nothing, to be complete, full-grown, mature would be some ways to understand this idea of what it means to be perfect. Uh, not, not without any error, but the idea of being a mature in our character. The followers of Jesus... Um, are coached here by Jesus to uh, take what may be natural responses and turn them into unnatural ones and make those unnatural ones we would first would, wouldn't, wouldn't think of, perhaps, and make them more natural. These are the responses that help to set the followers of Jesus apart from others who don't know Jesus yet, don't understand uh, the things of God that are so important and valuable. Jesus has been talking in these talks, this grand talk about the Sermon on the Mount, about true standards of God's, God's laws for living rightly, living the way God would have us to live. And they're, they're rooted, as we found out already, in just, just the beginning of chapter 5, they're, they're rooted in issues of the heart. As some would say, they're more about the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. And so as we looked at anger, uh, as we looked at murder, it wasn't just the act of murder that Jesus um, affirmed, but he affirmed that it was also anger in the heart 
that could make us guilty of murder. Or it wasn't just the act of adultery, but it was the lust in the heart that we should be very concerned about with respect to crossing the line of adultery or immorality in our hearts. And like uh, we talked last week, to have integrity at all times is what God is desiring for us to live out, not just when you swear a particular kind of oath. Remember we talked about we shouldn't ever cross our fingers if we're trying to tell some, somebody what would likely be an untruth then, because <laughs> we had our fingers crossed. The sense of we're to have all the times our yes be truly a yes and our no be really a no. So let's remind ourselves that the stakes are indeed high. Go back to verse 20 in chapter 5, and this is what Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they saw those uh, uh, Pharisees and teachers as the standard, but Jesus raised it above them is a much higher standard is a standard that goes deeper than just the outward action. And so Jesus would rail, really, against some of the leaders who had corrupted the pure word of God. And so look at this uh, text in uh, chapter 23, verse 23 and following, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! This is what Jesus would say <laughs> to, to them. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected, neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Again, my emphasis. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So, friends, let me just remind us. When Jesus talks, <laughs> it's wise to take heed. Listen to his direct word. Listen to the word of God uh, throughout the whole Bible. This is the pure word of God. It's what God wants us to pursue. And we must avoid uh, neglecting important truths and teachings or avoid following corrupted interpretations by the fact that we can get the truth. Jesus is clarifying the real truth for his disciples, those who would follow, including us today. And so there were false teachers, there were false prophets. Jesus would uh, come against some of the teaching of his day. He would help people to get it more closely through this particular talk called the Sermon on the Mount. And so could I remind us again, if I could take the opportunity, to reflect, read on the Bible for yourself, even daily. Study it as we are right now. Uh, get the full-strength Bible text teaching. And we do that, various methods, by reading it daily and, and, and reflecting on it, by gathering for teaching weekly like we do right here in our small group studies and connection points. Very, very important that we take in the soul food that matters for our life, not just here, but in eternity. And so in this Jesus talk section today, it appears that the Pharisees and the scribes had interpreted the law to justify personal retribution, to take matters of revenge into their own hands. It was a corruption of the law of vengeance 
or what's referred to as the law of retaliation. Look at uh, Leviticus, where this law came from, 19 verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But, what does, it, what does he say? It, what does the, the text say? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Look at some other passages where Jesus is making reference to from the Old Testament. Do not say, I will pay back wrong for uh, pay back for this wrong wait for the lord and he will avenge you proverbs 20 and 22 do not say i will do to them as they have done to me i'll pay them back for what they did proverbs 24 and 29 this is the corruption of the law of love your neighbor and it was interpreted with therefore now, God didn't tell it this way, but this is the way they interpreted it. Therefore, I can hate my enemy. I can bear grudge. I can get bitter about it. I can slander them back. In fact, what we do in retaliation is we usually one-up somebody that's hit us. If somebody hits me in a certain way, huh, you're never going to do that again because watch what you're going to get in return. Twice as bad. That's the escalation of retaliation. In fact, God said, it's an eye for a eye. This is true justice, okay? A tooth for a tooth, appropriate, uh, an appropriate response uh, to evil. Hate your enemy you won't find anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not there. That's supplied by these teachers. If we love our neighbor, then I, I guess we, we, have to, we, can, we can love, we can hate our enemy. But that's not what God's word says, both in the Old Testament as well as the New. Look at Exodus 23 with me. If you come across your, na- your enemy's ox, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see a donkey of someone who hates you, fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. So there's, our, there's what we're supposed to do to our enemy in the Old Testament. That it wasn't to hate the enemy and justify, therefore, not doing good, but doing evil. No, it was to do good to your enemy. And this is what's reflected again in the New Testament, not just by Jesus, but over in Romans chapter 12. Look at these words. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, now he brings in the enemy. He talked about this idea of retaliation or vengeance. Don't do that. But now he talks about what do you do to that enemy? Rather, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that's a quote in the New Testament from Proverbs 25, 21 through 22, which I've supplied. Do not be overcome by evil through retaliation and escalation and vengeance, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's a place for vengeance, and that's through the government, which is God's minister. (laughs) The government's there because God put the government there, and so for some kinds of evil that's committed, 
there are laws of the land which are which would take care of that and so uh, the, the bible says um it is a minister it is a minister or a servant the government is of god to avenge uh to to be an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil and that's a continuation right there into Romans chapter 13. So good, good to read a little bit of that if you'd like to get the idea of that. But in interpersonal, in, in interpersonal relationships that we'll have daily at work, at home, uh, in social gatherings, sometimes in the church, okay, <laughs> even in the church, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Jesus tells us how to deal with enemies or supposed enemies or those who would hate us. Those are people that... Uh, maybe are annoyed by you, that kind of detest you, that were frustrated by you, or you don't like, uh, and you go on and on. Uh, we have a number of those. Do you think of anybody in your life that might be annoyed by you, detest you, that might think of you less than what you'd like them to? Or just turn it around. How about you with other people? How much do we have anybody in our lives we can think of and go, that's not a person I would want to have a meal with. Urgh, I don't know. Sure. Kids. Those people that we would maybe consider not a friend and maybe even an enemy. Well, this teaching of Jesus is really not new teaching for godly living. It simply reflects the same attitude that's by given, been given by God in the past in the Old Testament law. But again, law can be corrupted. And Jesus has been working hard to make sure that we get it right. And, and, and so it, it's very valuable for us. Probably these words in, in this text here, I'll come up on the next slide, are the most difficult words to live by. They're last in the list of contrasts and comparisons regarding right living according to God's moral way, his moral law. To not seek revenge, but instead to love even our enemy shows that we lack nothing. It's the epitome of maturity, friends. This section right here, and Jesus points to that. This is how you can tell if you're truly full grown, if you have a maturity, if you're like God's character. You can actually not be vengeful and seek to avenge or to retaliate, but you can actually love someone who hates you. Not so easy, or am I the only one that thinks that? It's not easy. I think we'd all agree. So let me just compare these two teachings, these teachings that go together uh, to, to grasp this attitude. And let me use your hands and mine. Just put your hands up. You can put them up. Make a fist out of one. I'm using my right one to make my fist. My left one is my open hand. Okay? All right. So uh, the two hands reflect kind of Jesus' teaching. This hand, your maybe right-fisted hand, is your haymaker hand. Okay? <laughs> you know what a haymaker right hook would feel like okay that's sometimes what we would like to do to some people don't say amen 
I know you were thinking about it, but some of you wanted to, right? <laughs> we, 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 we want to get back, get even, because you know, we got hurt. We got insulted. It was unfair. It was unjust. Why did you treat me that way? You slandered my name. And we want to use, oh, this hand. And this hand represents the flesh. It represents our carnality. It represents what we hurt people with. But then there's this hand. This is the holy hand. Or the hand of help. The hand of mercy. The hand of compassion. The hand of grace. The haymaker hand now. Jesus says, don't. He looks at that. We're going to look at that hand and say, don't, don't resist an evil person. Don't seek revenge. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. Don't retaliate. Don't get mad. Don't get even. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't bow to bitterness. And Jesus says, don't. There's a place in the Bible, there's a place in our lives to say no. God says, don't murder. He says, don't commit adultery. Why? Because they're good for us. To not use this hand is very good for us. If you have the desire to use this hand, don't with people in your life. God says, don't. It won't serve you well. It won't. He doesn't necessarily deal with all of that, but let's just consider for a minute this thing. We need to set boundaries for ourselves. We need to draw the line and say, beyond this point, I will not go. Not for comfort, not for security, and not for revenge. Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesian Christians, it says, let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He says, draw a line. Don't go there. Mm. <clears throat> Don't go there. No exceptions. All bitterness. No exceptions. God wants it all out of you and out of me. A doctor told a very ill man that he had rabies and he was terminal because of it. And upon hearing the diagnosis, the man took out a piece of paper and he started writing on it. The doctor thought, oh, he must be making his will. So he asked him, what, what are you doing? Making your will? man said, nope, I'm just writing down every person I'm going to bite. <laughs> Didn't have a line, did he? <laughs> he let things got away from him. Yeah. Don't bow to bitterness. Oh. This is how we can handle personal injustice if we're not careful. We can bite people around us with our words, with slander. We can go steps further. We must not bow to bitterness. How can I tell if I'm bitter? Here's how I can tell about me. If I rehearse in my mind the injustice, the person who hurt me, and what they did to me, if I keep rehearsing it, in my mind, if I keep thinking about the details of it, if I keep it fresh, bitterness grows. 
and this gets formed. And I'm looking for a time to let it go, let that haymaker go. Friends, life is not fair. People are going to treat us wrongly. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be accused. You're going to be threatened. We must be careful. And so often things start out very small, the simple little insult, and then it grows by animosity. It escalates, and fuel is added to a small fire, and pretty soon we've got our haymaker hand ready. Okay, so let's switch to what Jesus said to do then. Don't do this. This is what he said to do. <laughs> he said to, oop, there's a, there's a hand there, but he says to love your enemies. Love them. And this is this open hand of goodwill, this holy or helping hand. This is the, represents the loving of our enemies. How do we do that? How do we love our enemies? Are you serious? Are you really going to preach that? Yeah, love your enemies. Jesus said it. Okay, here's what he said. L love is simply active goodwill. Love is active goodwill. And so Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. That's part of loving them. Someone's going to be somebody under your skin, somebody you don't like, somebody's uh, causing problems for you, somebody doesn't like you and they've even said it maybe. What do you do about that? You pray for them. That's one of the things Jesus said, how we love. The P is for pray if you're writing those down. Pray for those who persecute you. What? Pray for what? Their well-being. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they'd come to more truth about Jesus. Pray that they'd get life better. Pray that somehow there'd be a reconciliation between you and them. That's what we can do. We can do it even right now. Jesus uh, would say these similar words in the other rendering of the same uh, teaching in Luke uh, chapter 6. Look at what the words say. But to you who are listening, I say, you, I say, love your enemies. Look what he says. Do good to those who hate you. Whoa. These are scandalous words. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I've underlined in italics the word bless those who curse you. What does that mean? Bless means to speak well of. Those who would curse us would not speak well of us. It's exactly the opposite of what my nature, my human nature wants to do. Not my godly nature, my human nature wants to do. Uh, I gotta don't pull out the haymaker hand when somebody curses me, or I would curse them back and probably even more. But no, I gotta pull out uh, the holy hand and say, I'm gonna say something that's true, that's complimentary. Perhaps I'm gonna represent the good thing about you to somebody else. That's hard to do for me. How about you? But that's love. Active goodwill. Not just pray, but speak. Bless. Third thing Jesus says is to do good. Good is the fill-in word. Do good to those who mistreat you or uh, those who hate you. Do good. Do good? What am I going to do good to them? They're, they're not treating me very kindly. Well, you treat them kindly as best you can. 
You treat them kindly. That's what Jesus would tell us to do. That's what he's saying. Can you help them in some way? Can you give them a, a, a gift that might, you know, bless them? Can you do something that they wouldn't expect at all? Could you overcome evil with good? Yeah. This is tough stuff. Christianity, uh, the whole idea of Christianity is simple. But to live out the faith in a world that increasingly, like we talked last, is a little treacherous out there. People aren't, they're very, sometimes people aren't kind. People, some people come along and they're just directly evil. And they will insult, they will get after you. If you wear the name of Jesus, there are certain people and groups of people that will be on you in a negative way. We have to be prepared for that. That was the case that Jesus knew for his followers then. It's still the case for us even today. So friends, we, we do good. We figure out what that means, uh, practically speaking. Active goodwill is what Jesus is referring to with respect to loving our enemies. He gives us those simple kinds of uh, responses in a very practical way. So don't get mad and get even with a haymaker hand. Rather, love and pray and bless and do good, overcoming evil with good with this hand of love. Jo Joseph in the Old Testament forgave his brothers. He could have retaliated big time. No one would have, you know, uh, that wouldn't have been a problem for anybody to understand in his life. David spared the life of King Saul who was after him for close to 10 years to take his life, and twice he had the opportunity to get retribution. He chose not to. Jesus died for you while you were an enemy of his. Me too, the whole world. He didn't have to. He was justified in not, but he chose to because he loved. Because he loved. Jesus points out and appeals to the very character of God the Father. That's what he chose to tell us in this particular talk. Look what he says. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That, that, here's where he's going with it, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because he causes his son, that's the sunshine out here, <laughs> to rise on the evil as well as on the good. He sends the rain on the righteous as well as on the righteous. This is called the common grace of God. God is bountiful in help to all people. He loves everybody. And there's a certain degree of goodness that he gives to everybody. He treats his enemies, in many cases, very good. Showing no partiality, no conditions in, in this area. If you love those, Jesus goes on to say, what, who love you, what reward will you get? And there's rewards, friends, uh, for loving our enemies. I think Jesus is saying that right here. There's a reward for having a character like God's, for having a full-grown character like God's. What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect. That is this idea of being perfect full-grown, uh, complete, mature in this area. If you do this, you will lack nothing. That's the concept here. If you got this down, friends, I suggest to you that everything else comes pretty easy with respect to living out the Christian faith. If we don't have this one down, we've we got to get it, you know, 
keep working toward it. I don't have this down perfectly, that's for sure. I feel like, okay, this is an area that, ugh, I, I get mad sometimes and the haymaker hand comes out pretty fast. Okay, don't. Love. <laughs> we can do it. Express love. We, you know, we, the goal would be to feel it. Sometimes we don't. But I can still express it. I can do good. I can, and then feelings often follow the acts upon it. So what does he say? Don't even the pagans that be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And, 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 and friends, people see that difference. Oh my goodness, this will turn heads. It really does. It's one of the greatest witnesses we can have. This is salt and light in a world that needs that so desperately today. Jesus appeals to this high standard of righteousness. The righteousness of the way of God the Father and how he treats us. Oh my, to, to live up to that standard and to, uh, to try to grow into that. Oh, I want it. We're seen like children of God. Oh God, thank you for giving us Jesus' words here in this text this morning for our benefit today, not just for those who originally heard him. We too will deal with persecution like the early Christians did. We too will just deal with people in our lives all around us that we, we want to treat better, we want to respond better, but it's so hard sometimes. Oh God, help us to be more like you in this. We, we want to love in this way those that are the most unlovable in our lives. And so we seek God for your blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen. May I invite you to stand as we have our final song closing our service this morning. There's a cleanup on the food that's needed and refreshments. Chill, go get your children, those of you that have kids here this morning. Uh, just want to ask you uh, to turn in your connection cards uh, to those buckets that we have at the tables. They'll be collected momentarily and uh, we'll be... Um, praising God in this last song. I want to thank you all for coming today. Those of you that are newer with us, I hope I can greet you before you leave. I'll be out by the door to greet you out here. Thanks for coming, everybody. God bless you, and have a great week. Sing out this next song. Thank you, Robin. One, two, three.